this week on Hope for the Broken. Most people that are grieving need someone to listen, not someone to fix the situation. Because there is some brokenness that you and I, we can't fix. And you got to allow God to do that. Allow God to fill in the broken areas of your life and allow him to highlight his restorative work. Listen, when you allow God to fill the areas and the spaces of hurt in your life, God is glorified in and through it. Allow God to work in it and give yourself permission to allow God to work in and through it. Hello, I'm Chris Wigley, pastor at Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm so excited you've come across this podcast. On this week's episode, we continue our sermon series entitled Greater Than. We've been taking a look at circumstances that we all face and the truth that Jesus is greater than any circumstance that we might face. Today, we are diving into the topic of grief. Grief is the feeling of extreme loss. You know, that can come as a result of losing a loved one, a divorce, a loss of a job, or even the loss of a friendship. If you are dealing with grief today, I want you to know that there is hope in Jesus. We would love to hear from you and come alongside you as you walk through grief in your life. You can email us at info at trinitytx.org or give us a call at 903-572-1959. There are many resources to help you navigate this period of grief, and we would love to point you in those directions. Ever since the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden, humanity has felt the weight of the broken world that is the result of sin. However, God works in and through even the most difficult of circumstances to give us hope. You can have hope today. And it is my prayer that this message offers you just that. We are in week three of a sermon series that we have entitled Greater Than. And we're looking at several key circumstances that seem to be common to all of our experience in the human race and the, and the journey called life. And it's my prayer that this series be helpful to you and be helpful to me as we navigate many of life's ups and many of life's downs. And so far we have examined that Jesus is greater than the grave. Last week we talked about how Jesus is greater than worry and anxiety, and today we come to the topic of Jesus being greater than my grief. The great pastor Chuck Swindoll once said about relevant preaching, if you preach to those that are hurting, you will never lack for an audience. That's because we all hurt. Some of life's experiences are filled with the greatest of joys, but also the greatest of pain and of hurts. And the Bible speaks so much to the variety of hurts. And I'm so glad that in God's sovereignty that he saw fit to record those in holy writ and preserve them even for us today that often journey through life's ups and downs. And the theme of all of those verses and and of Scripture is that there is hope in Jesus. The believer in Jesus is never without hope. Even in difficult news, even in difficult circumstances, there is always hope in the person and work of Jesus because he is greater than anything that we will ever face. You know, when it comes to the topic of grief, grief is something that is a universal experience. means that everyone at some point in their life experiences grief. 
And so I want to approach the topic this morning in a, in a couple of different ways. I want to talk about what grief is. I want to examine what God says about his promises whenever we go through seasons of grief. And then I want to look at four ways that we can help others as they process their grief. And so I hope to let this also not only be an encouragement message, but an equipping message to help us in that, in that season. You know, one of the most challenging aspects to ministry is often walking people through time periods of grief. It's been gut-wrenching uh, for me. And I think of a few particular instances where I was privileged to come alongside those that were grieving. Um, I remember Tom Yates. Tom was a uh, student ministry volunteer whenever I was a student minister in Burleson, Texas, and uh, an incredible student ministry volunteer. He loved me. He always encouraged me. And uh, the roles were reversed when news broke about his son taking his own life. And I remember huddling around Tom and his family as they grieved the loss of their son in such a tragic way. I think of Dr. Lenore Warren, her family, when on Christmas Eve I received a phone call that she was about to pass away. And immediately following our Christmas Eve services, I went straight to the home as the family gathered around to say goodbye to Lenore. And I remember just sitting there and waiting until the funeral home could arrive. And, and on such a tragic day, Christmas Eve of all, of all days. I think of Tyson Reed. Tyson was a senior in high school in the student ministry that I was privileged to minister to in Littlefield, Texas, when his dad was killed in an automobile accident just a quarter mile from his house. I was the first person outside of family to arrive at the hospital. And I felt literally the weight of that young man's grief as he collapsed on my shoulders. And I remember just not having words, but just to say, I'm so sorry, Tyson. My heart hurts for you. I think of the family of the young girl who was, who was involved in a head-on collision. And whenever I gathered to to work out the details of her service, I was visibly and, and troubled in my spirit based upon the grief that these, this family was experiencing. And for, at her service, for 45 minutes after everyone was dismissed, they had a special time of family, and I stood next to this young lady's casket. And for 45 minutes, alongside funeral directors, tried to prevent the mom from climbing in the casket. You talk about grief. And unfortunately, you know, I've had the privilege to be alongside people in their worst moments. And I know all across this room, I know some of your stories too. And I know the moments of grief that have filled your heart. And I don't know if you're here today and perhaps you are grieving. Something has positioned you in this state of grieving and I just want you to know something. My desire for this message is to bring you hope and peace because Jesus is even greater than even the darkest seasons of our lives. And there is hope in him. And I know this is a heavy subject matter, but I believe that we can walk away encouraged. I believe we can walk away equipped 
on how to help people navigate through grief. And so with that background, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. And we're going to be in several different verses here this morning, but that's going to be our primary passage. So if you want to turn there and put a marker there, we're going to eventually get there. But we're going to look at several different scripture verses as we seek to gain hope here this morning. I want to first talk about what grief is. What is grief? An article I read this week described grief as an intense emotional suffering caused by significant personal loss. The Mayo Clinic called grief the natural reaction to loss. And the conclusion that I've come to is not only grief natural, it's necessary. And while grief is something that has or certainly will visit us all, that is a deeply personal experience. Every person is unique in the way in which they process their grief. No one is the same. You know, I also learned that we, while we often equate grief with the loss of a loved one, grief can encompass so many other experiences. Grief certainly comes whenever we lose a loved one and a loved one passes from this life into eternity. But we also experience grief at the loss of a relationship, a loss of a job, a loss of a pet, a, a, a terrible medical diagnosis, news of, of a terminal illness, a divorce. All of these circumstances are known to produce within us as human beings this emotion of grief. And so it's, it's not unique to one particular experience. It was interesting in my uh, study this week to note that there are different lists that outline the stages of grief. I came across a five-stage grief. I came across an eight-stage grief. But what was interesting is one article I read said that experts no longer look at grief in stages. Instead, they consider them to be cycles. And one of the reasons for this seems to suggest that the word stages presents like this ladder experience. That when the moment of grief hits, that you are at rock bottom and then that you somehow slowly and surely work your way out of the pit of grief and you do so in a certain stage. But this particular writer said, life processing grief is not like a ladder. It's more like a roller coaster. And your emotions are all over the place. And sometimes you can visit these different stages multiple times. And, and to su suppose that it's like this ladder whenever you get to a certain stage and only to fall backwards that you seem to be more devastated because you're not making the progress that you need to make. Listen, no one grieves the same. And grief is not this ladder, this platform to get out of it. It's a, it's a roller coaster experience, as I'm sure many of you know. But what was interesting is even though these lists differ in the number of stages that they have, they all had kind of similar sayings. Things like shock, emotional release, anger, even guilt, loneliness and depression, and then acceptance and the return of hope. You know, another thing that was vitally important for me and my study this week was learning that grief has no timetable. I read one article that someone grieving can last anywhere between six months to four years. There doesn't seem to be a common time frame. 
Again, that's because people process things differently. And we're all unique in this, in this journey. And I wish I could tell you, if you're here today, I wish I could tell you in X number of months, you're going to feel the, a new normal. But that simply isn't the case. And there are several different factors that psychologists have identified that cause grief to last longer. Things like your age. Things like the circumstances of the loss. Things like the, the, uh, the devastation of the loss, like, meaning immediately or unexpected nature of the loss. All these are factors that can contribute. And even doctors have identified something called complicated grief. It's possible that we don't only just grieve, but we find ourselves stuck in what is called complicated grief. And listen, if you are here today and you have questions as to whether or not, am I grieving normally or am I stuck in what is called complicated grief? I want to, again, just like last week, tell you this. There are some things that have a spiritual solution and there are some things that have a physical solution. And if you feel like you may be stuck in complicated grief, let me just encourage you to talk to your doctor about it. Don't be too prideful. It happens to us all. And the devastation, the circumstances surrounding it, could require something more than just spiritual. Certainly present to the spiritual. But talk to your doctor about it too because there may be a physical solution to that as well. Here's what I would tell you if you are experiencing grief. The number one rule, don't place any added weight upon yourself by producing within yourself some expectation. For example, some people say, well, by such and such time, I should be out of grief. Well, that's adding weight to you. Don't allow anyone to speed you through the grief process. It's important for you to grieve. I remember my grandfather had a stroke and for 12 years was severely disabled. He couldn't really speak. Uh, he was in wheelchair bound. And I remember when he, when he died, I mean, even 12 years I remember my dad, you know, kind of in the in the early moments being just kind of stoic almost like. Like he was just, uh, this is what life happens. You know, this is what happens. And then my dad told me later in life that he had a he had a dream that his dad stood at the at the foot of his bed and called his name. And and he told me, he said, Chris, he said, I woke up and I could see my dad. And I I knew that I wasn't asleep. And he said, and it wasn't until we, we, we set up his headstone that I grieved my dad. And, and he talked about that experience and the importance of journeying through grief. And we all do it differently. Don't place added weight upon yourself because you're not like somebody else in that regard. But I would also tell you this, if you're experiencing grief, do not isolate yourself. Resist the urge to withdraw. Instead, press in to people. There are resources that we could point you to as a church that we would love to point you to in your seasons of grief. There are people even in this very room that would love to walk alongside you that have been there, that know the, the weight of what you're walking through and they would just love to come beside you and be a comfort to you. And also allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart in powerful ways and he does that through his people. Grief is normal. It is also healthy, but it is different for everyone. And we all process it differently. So that's about grief. Now I want to turn to five promises of God in our grief. 
There's probably a lot more promises of God, but what I did this week is I just was thinking about this message and I said, well, there's certainly people that will be here today that might, might need to hear God's promises for them as they walk through this season of grief that they find themselves in. And so I just began to look up uh, grief and I began to look up Bible verses and, and I started noticing that there were you know, at least five promises of God for when we walk through grief. So I want to just share with you where, what, what I jotted down about God's promises to us in grief. First is that God understands your grief. I think many times we're too hard on ourselves and we often walk through grief because we, we think we should have it all together and yet we don't. But God understands that. Remember, God knows and understands grief. God knows what it's like to have his innocent son murdered. God understands grief. And he understands that he's made you uniquely you. And that you will process that differently. And God is patient in understanding what you, it, what it is that you are going through. I think of Isaiah 53, three through four, that says this. He, in reference to the Messiah, and we know to be Jesus, was despised and rejected by men, by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That means he's experienced it. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Listen, because there's no prescription for how you should navigate grief, and because everyone processes grief differently, don't place any expectations upon yourself. And know God gets it. God understands it. The second promise of God in our grief is that God is with you in your grief. One of the greatest promises of God, Psalm 34, 18. It says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. If there's anything that could describe grief to me, it's the feeling of being brokenhearted, of being crushed by the weight of our grief. And yet I want you to know that in those moments, God is near. His presence is near to you. He wants to carry your heartache. He wants to provide his comfort. He wants to give you hope and encouragement. And so when you grieve, know that the Lord is close to you and promises to walk with you one step at a time. He understands your grief. He's with you. The third promise of God contained in Scripture about grief is that God will give you strength. As I've walked with people through the stages of grief, one thing that I've learned is that sometimes grief can be so overbearing that you can't even breathe. You lose your appetite. You can't even gather the strength to get to work sometimes. It's debilitating at times. It's, it's overwhelming upon our hearts. In those moments, don't rely upon your own strength. Instead, turn to a strength that is far greater than any other source of strength. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31 says this. He, meaning God, gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. 
But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings like eagles and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Sometimes grief is exhausting. It wears you out, takes your strength away. But I want you to know there is a God that desires to give you strength in the midst of your weakness. As you navigate grief, don't attempt to do so on your own power, in your own strength. Rely upon God to carry you through. What are promises that we can hold on to? God understands. God is with you. He will give you strength. Fourthly, God will work something good. When you face grief, always carry something in the back of your mind. An expectation that God will work good out of your circumstance. It may be difficult to see in the moment, but what God does is he does, the, he does what is, to him, it's possible to do even that which is impossible. And he can make good from that which is terrible. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Certainly the all things mean terrible things too. Only God has the ability to do that. There are examples in Scripture and even testimonies in this room where God has taken a terrible situation and made something good out of it. Now I think it's important for me to say here that while God's blessings could never replace that which you lost, He is still good and still makes good out of it. And so you have to, in the midst of your grief, you have to rely upon that sometimes. Even whenever it's hard to come to that conclusion, just know that God will cause good to come out of it. He's good at doing that. And so he understands your grief. He's with you in your grief. He'll give you strength. He'll work something good. The fifth promise that I found in Scripture regarding times when we go through grief is that joy will return. Joy will return return. Psalm 30, the second part of verse 5 says, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. I can tell you that while you will always miss that which was lost, you will find joy again. When you allow the Lord to carry you through your grief, he will turn your grief into joy at some point in your life if you will allow him. Verse 11 of Psalm 30 says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Listen, when you face grief in your life, I want you to hold on to the promises of God. You know, there is no other word that you can count on, no other word that you could take to the bank other than God's holy word. And sometimes when you find yourself in those moments and your mind begins to wander and you begin to doubt and you begin to lose faith, know that that's completely normal, completely normal expression, a completely normal feeling. But in those moments, you need to be rooted in the truth of God's word. Speak it. Preach it to your doubt. Speak it over your heartache. Hold on to the promises of God. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, meaning those who have passed away, those who have died, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Now notice that this verse does not say don't grieve. 
It just says that when you do grieve, grieve with hope. The believer has the ability to process grief slightly different than the non-believer because there's always a ray of hope in the midst of that. And so be reminded that even though you do grieve, and grieve is normal, it is healthy, and it is necessary, do so with hope. So we do that by holding on to the promises of God. So we've looked at what grief is. We looked at God's promises in the midst of grief. Now I want to, in the time that we have left, walk through, how do I help someone who is grieving? How do I help someone who is grieving? I want to help you, equip you to be helpful. The truth is that when someone we love is grieving, we find ourselves in a very awkward position, right? I don't know about you, even, even me as a pastor, I've, I've unfortunately had experience here, but I find myself in an awkward place where, where you don't know what to say. I mean, right, like what can you say? And oftentimes we are tempted to try to be spiritually profound towards somebody in that moment. And listen, let me just... Let me just tell you, in those moments, we often say things that are trite and we say things that are hurtful, not helpful. And so I want to equip us on how to help someone navigate grief. And I want us to do that by looking at John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, Jesus is away ministering and he gets news that Lazarus, his good friend, is sick. And by the time Jesus makes it back to Bethany... Lazarus has already been dead. More than that, his funeral has already taken place and he's been laid in his tomb. And the scene that Jesus happens upon is a scene that's just filled with grief. And the way in which Jesus handles that experience, I think, teaches so much to us on how to handle similar situations. The first thing that we need to do in order to help people grieve well is to understand that people grieve differently. Let me give you an example in John chapter 11, verses 18 through 21, of how people grieve differently. It says, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Here we have two sisters, each having lost a brother, but each handling grief differently. Martha ran out to meet Jesus. She went out into public. Mary couldn't bring herself to get up off the couch. She was still devastated in her grief. You know what's interesting, too, about these two ladies and how they handle grief? We know these two ladies from a a previous encounter with Jesus. Remember Mary and Martha? Jesus is at their house, and Martha is busy doing all kinds of things, uh, serving the disciples, serving Jesus, and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, and, and, you know, uh, Martha says, Jesus, get on Mary, right? She's not doing anything. This sounds like siblings, right? The perfect sibling rivalry. And, and, and what is interesting to see is their same personalities at work even in the midst of their grief. Martha, the busybody, what is she doing with her grief? Well, she's out and about. She's busy. She's occupied her time. She's going to meet Jesus. She's out in public. Mary, who was sitting at the feet of Jesus, what is she doing in her grief? Well, she's sitting there. 
You know, your personality also weighs into how you manage grief. And God wired you that way. And he understands it. Each person is different. I have found that the immediate time following the loss, especially a death, people are surrounded by family and friends. But what happens in the weeks and months following? Everyone leaves. Life as normal. And the grieving person is left there all alone. What is interesting to me here in this passage is that Jews were consoling them long after the funeral was over. I think what we learn here is the helpful side of it. Understand people process grief differently, but commit to them for the long term. Commit to being there for them even when everybody else leaves and life returns to normal. Sometimes people will say this to to someone. It's about time you move on. You know, life goes on. Or people will say, you've moved on too fast. I can't believe you're already over it. Listen, please don't say those things. Everybody processes grief differently. And while you mean well by saying that and you're trying to encourage the person, it only adds weight that they don't need to carry. Simply say, I'm so sorry. And understand that people grieve differently. Number two, second way that you can help someone grieving is to enter into their grief. I think so many times we don't know what to say, so we just don't say anything at all, or we just give them a hug, and then we're, we're kind of out, and because it's an awkward situation for us, we, we don't really know how to navigate that. Enter into their grief. And when you enter into someone's grief, all you do is provide them your presence. Jesus did that in John 11. Look at verse 33. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. In other words, he was there. He was observing all that they were going through. He was present. He entered into their grief. He didn't stay at an arm's length. He entered into it. When you have a friend that is grieving, keep your words few, but enter in. Simply say again, I'm so sorry. Do not say God needed her in heaven more than you needed her here. Listen, people don't grieve because their loved one is in heaven. They grieve because their loved one's not here. And for every reason that you could say God needed them in heaven, they could give you a hundred reasons why they needed them here. And so it's not a true statement. Don't ever say anything like that. Or don't say, well, I guess God needed another angel. Well, first of all, we don't become angels when we die. Right? There's a certain number of created angels. We become participants in heaven in the glory of God among the angels in giving him praise and honor when we pass from this earth. Right? But, but you see how in, in an effort to try to be spiritually profound, we're actually more hurtful. And so just simply say, I'm sorry. Keep your words few, but enter into their presence. Also, never say this word. Never say, I know exactly how you feel. Because you don't. Even if you've experienced grief before, Even if you felt the devastation of loss, remember every person grieves differently. Every person experiences a different emotion. Again, just simply say, I'm so very 
sorry. Whenever I showed up at the hospital, Tyson's dad's death, Tyson saw me from across the hospital and he just took off running. This guy was a track star. And so whenever he was running, I mean, it was fast. And I thought I was going to get mowed down and he just, he just hugged me and he just kind of collapsed on me. And I didn't know what to say. I mean, what do you tell a young man? Just lost his dad, his senior year of high school. I just said, Tyson, I'm so sorry. And we embraced for what was about 10 minutes. And those are the only words I said. Weeks following the funeral, I called up Tyson. I said, hey, let's go, let's go to Sonic. Let me buy you a Coke. And so we sat in the car at Sonic. And he said, Chris, he said, I just want to say thank you. I was like, for what? He said, just for being there. I said, I didn't even say anything, buddy. He goes, but it was the best. Simply enter their grief and provide your presence and keep your words few. The third thing to help somebody is to resist the urge to cheer them up. Resist the urge to cheer them up. We have a tendency to want to break the ice, you know. We, we want to enter in laughter. When someone's walking through grief, attempting to cheer them up is not helpful. Jesus doesn't do that. Look at verses 33 through 36 as we see what Jesus models for us. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had also come weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews see, said, see how he loved them. Jesus didn't try to cheer them up. He wept with them. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice, but weep with those who weep. Don't try to cheer them up. Don't say things like, oh, time will heal all things. And while time will heal, the truth of the matter is time and taking steps in the right direction is what eventually brings healing, right? Don't, don't try to make a joke. Share a funny story, you know, about, about them and their loved one and how much you love, love them. But, but don't, don't try to cheer them up. Just simply weep with them. That'll do more good than you'll ever know. Keep your words few. Resist the edge, uh, urge to cheer them up. Just enter into their grief. Fourthly, give space and grace. Give space and grace. Now, whenever I say space, I don't mean distance. What I mean is to expect the person grieving to say anything and everything they feel like saying. And create that space where it's okay regardless of what they say. Jesus did just this. Verse 21 of John 11, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then in verse 32, Mary says the same thing. Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What is Mary and Martha expressing? They're expressing disappointment. It could have been different, Jesus. Things could have been different. And Jesus gives them the space and he gives them the grace to say that. And we, do, we need to do that too. Listen, if a grieving person blames God, I've heard that. Why did God do this? 
You need to give them the grace and the space to say that. Because remember what one of the stages of, of grieving is? Blame and anger. It's okay. God's big enough. He can handle it. He understands what it's like to be in that very circumstance. If a grieving person expresses disappointment in God, please do not give them a theological lecture on why they should not do that. Just say, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm praying for you, and I am here for you. Again, keep your words few space and grace. Most people that are grieving need someone to listen, not someone to fix the situation. Because there is some brokenness that you and I, we can't fix. And you got to allow God to do that. You're simply the agent by which you provide support for. You remember the story of Job in the Bible? Job lost everything. And then his friends showed up. And the Bible says that they sat with Job for seven days. And that was good. But things went sideways when what? Their friends opened their mouths. His friends were trying to explain away what had happened. Trying to say there must be something sin in your life, Job. And they started blabbing their mouths and that's when things got hurtful. Listen, what we learned from that example, provide your, your presence, keep your words few, identify with their grief, enter into their grief, give them space and grace to say whatever it is that they feel that they need to say. And I think by doing those four things, you will be extremely helpful. Let me give you a little additive here too. Resist the desire to machine gun Bible verses at them. Right? In that moment, you know, resist the urge to say, well, God's word said, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes when somebody is in shock, they don't hear. They can't really uh, understand what it is you're saying. But I will tell you this, a well-placed, well-timed Bible verse presents power in that person's life. So don't machine gun, but be thoughtful in the verses that you would like to share with them. Okay? And I want to share with you an illustration. The Japanese art form of Kintsugi. Kintsugi is the Japanese art form of repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with precious metals. I want to show you a picture of this art form. It's a beautiful bowl. The pieces of this pottery are broken. And instead of trying to disguise or cover the repair, it actually accentuates the repair. Listen, when we experience the brokenness of grief, we experience the brokenness of life, don't try to cover, ever. Don't ever try to cover it. Allow God to fill in the broken areas of your life and allow Him to highlight His restorative work. This is a beautiful piece of pottery, but it highlights the fact that it's broken. Listen, when you allow God to fill the, the areas and the spaces of hurt in your life, God is glorified in and through it. Don't cover it up. Allow God to work in it and give yourself permission to allow God to work in and through it. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. 
If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.